Where did system security engineering go? I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. Ronald S. Ross, computer scientist and fellow at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Welcome back, Ron. Hey, Tanya, it's great to be with you today. Remind our audience, what role does NIST play in the cybersecurity world? NIST is an agency, we're part of the Department of Commerce. And of course we have 3000 scientists and engineers that work across many different disciplines, physics and chemistry. And I happen to be in what we call the Information Technology Laboratory at NIST. And that's where both of our cybersecurity divisions are housed. And we have all the people that develop the standards and guidelines for cybersecurity for the federal government. And of course, contractors and folks in the private sector who choose to use our, our standards and guidelines. So it's, a, it's quite a, a group and, and we've been doing this for an awful long time. What role should systems engineering play in building security into our infrastructure? And what are your observations about our efforts thus far? Well, systems security engineering and systems engineering is an important part of our business. And I like to go back and talk about things that we all relate to every day. Like when I get into an airplane or when I cross a bridge in where I live in Washington, DC, I do that with confidence. I get in airplanes and I know that when I get in the airplane, it's been built with by qualified people, good materials, uh, best practices in, in systems and engineering of airplanes and same thing with bridges. And when I look at this information technology now and the things we're facing with these very complex systems, I've asked the same question, how much confidence do we have in these systems that we're building that are literally literally going into everything we care about from the electric grid to pacemakers, medical technology, financial systems, transportation systems. This is a world of massive cyber physical, cyber physical convergence where computers are now in everything that we care about and they're controlling mechanical systems and things that never happened before. So given that fact, it's important that we can trust the technology because it's in so many critical things. And that's the, where system security engineering can play a very big role because when you build a system, you always start with an idea and then it rolls out through that life cycle until you get the system or the component at the other end. And it's very important that the security principles and concepts that we've known about for the last 40 years, it's important that that information get put into the life cycle at a place where it can make a difference. You can't wait till the system is developed and try to secure it at the end of the day. It just doesn't work. You have to have the right people at the table in the life cycle from day zero in order to really affect the kind of changes we need. Explain the concepts of compliance and design and, and why we need both. Well, compliance uh, is, is a word that can cover many different things in the world of cybersecurity. Many people equate compliance with uh, your, your satisfying requirements that come from either legislation or directives or executive orders, or they can come from anywhere. You could have corporate uh, requirements that you have to comply with. And, and so there's a, uh, there's a move to make sure that the systems, the security requirements that come from as high as uh, the Federal Information Security Management Act, that's the highest legislation that started all of our NIST standards and guidelines, all the way down to the lower level requirements 
how do you ensure that those the, the organization has met those requirements? They've satisfied the requirements. That's a compliance exercise, and that's certainly important. We need to be able to say that we're complying with privacy and security requirements, no matter where they are. But there's the other part of security is it's different than compliance. It gets down to how do we actually build these systems? What kind of components are we using? Where do they come from? Who, who built the software? Can we trust the software? Because all of those components are in most of in, in the commercial space, by the way, those are coming together and we have system engineers putting those components together to produce a system that has some capability, whether it's running the air traffic control system or controlling the electric grid. So the, the world of compliance doesn't really touch that area because that's what I call below the waterline. I've used that analogy above the waterline, below the waterline. Things that you do as a consumer are above the waterline, things you can control, even in the cybersecurity area. But things below the waterline, how the software and the hardware and the firmware components, how are those, those developed? That's what industry does best. And it's important that they are applying the best practices in cybersecurity as they are building those components. And then we're buying those components and assembling those into systems. So if you wanna to get to the point where you have the same trust and confidence that we do when we get in airplanes and, and kind of drive across bridges. That's the ultimate goal. We have to be able to trust the technology in very, very critical areas. If we can't do that, then as technology advances and we innovate, we're, we're not gonna feel comfortable using this great technology in the areas that really matter. Look at the consumer IoT market for a moment. Like you said, we have we have products assembled from off-the-shelf modules and code built to hit a price point. And there are millions of them just waiting to be hacked. Is a systems engineering approach too expensive for certain markets or maybe even products? Well, that's the, that's the age-old question, you know, because this does come down to, in, in the United States, we have a free market and there, there's a profit motive for, for vendors. That's how, that's how they do business, they, they make a profit. And I think this is going to be a have. This is going to be where we have to have a discussion about this. There's the concept of doing security due diligence is going to come up right against that issue, and we have to ask ourselves: Okay, we love the technology, and we all like the great things that it can do. It makes us more productive, and that's a good thing, being innovative and on the cutting edge. But then we have to balance that with how much do I trust this product that's not going to fail at the inopportune times or it's going to leave, leave me open to cyber attacks or things like that. And that's a discussion where you get into the area of system security engineering, and it's not going to be free. It's not going to be the most inexpensive choice. But again, if I, I go back to my airplane and my bridge example, I don't think you'd find many people who you would say, well, you know, uh, let's, let's have the cheapest airplane or let's have the bridge that, from the lowest bidder. I, I want to have an airplane and a bridge that's built from solid components and people who understand how to do that for a living, they're professionals. And sometimes that means it's gonna cost a little bit more to give us that level of privacy and security that we're all comfortable with. I don't know where that balance point is, but you know, my objective is to raise the discussion and raise it as a discussion point so we can have a national dialogue on this because we will come to a, an appropriate answer. There is no risk-free anything today. You, know, you get in your automobile and you drive your car and there's always risk in everything you do. But I do think, we have to have more transparency and traceability to requirements. So we get the ability to have that level of trust at whatever level of risk we think is appropriate. 
What one piece of advice can you offer organization and government leaders to plug the systems engineering gap you identify? Well, this is actually an easy one. I go back to, it's all about architecture and the engineering work that is in our special publication 800-160. That's where everything starts with the enterprise architecture. So I would go back and the first thing I would do is take a complete look at everything I own within the enterprise. Take an architectural view, look at every system, look at all the components and, and take an inventory of what you have and start to assess, do, do I have too many things that are unnecessary to support my critical and my core missions and start to eliminate some of that complexity. And then the next level below that within the architecture is get some good system security engineering folks in to take a look at each of the components, how they all work together and how you can do things that are available now, like zero trust architectures are a new concept that, that is being, it's coming into more maturity now, and there's gonna be great solutions there. Micro segmentation, uh, micro virtualization. There are lots of things we can do that assumes that the adversary uh, is not gonna always be stopped at our boundary. They may end up getting into our systems. And what can we do to make those systems more cyber resilient or have systems resiliency? much like the immune system in our bodies that we're able to you know, fend off lots and lots of things. Sometimes not everything, you can get cancer and things that are very serious, but for the most part, our immune systems are, are highly resilient. And that's the kind of resiliency that we need to have in our systems to make sure that we can continue to thrive in a world of very high-end cyber attacks that are very serious, that are going after our high value assets and everything that we value. We have to be able to have systems that can be defensible. And, and that gets back to the people that we hired to do the jobs. We have to give them the right tools and the right techniques and the right strategies to be successful. Dr. Ronald S. Ross, computer scientist and fellow at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Thanks for joining us again, Ron. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Well, there's several ways to do it. They can always go to our NIST website. It's csrc.nist.gov that has all of our standards and guidelines they're all free and then you can always contact me my email is ron.ross at nist.gov and I, I do answer all my email so I, I get a lot of them but I do answer them all and then on Twitter and LinkedIn I'm Ron Ross Secure that's my, my Twitter handle and I'm on LinkedIn as well and, and always willing to I love to engage with all of our customers they they give us so many great ideas and they help us produce the standards and guidelines that we love to, to work on at NIST. Thanks again, Ron. And find Thank you, more, Tanya. Of course. And find more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.